Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to just sit down and share this time in the Word of God with us. I believe you're going to be enriched and blessed by the Word that's flowing from this ministry. If you've been watching us, I, I just encourage you to let your friends know about us. Also, I would say uh, we don't advertise very much where we're going to be on television because it time stamps uh, when the program was aired. Uh, but if you would like to come to one of our meetings or our conferences, if you'll go to my website, there is a listing of, uh, of all the places where we will be in the near future, and we'd love to meet you. Uh, uh, we, we're interested in, in building new relationships, especially if they come through television. And a lot of times I'm not in necessarily real large venues, and so if you come someplace, the chances are probably really good that you're going to get to meet me personally. So um, if, you're, if you'd like to come to one of our meetings, we're probably coming to a town near you. Go to our website and see where we will be. Also want to just encourage you that if you've missed any of the programs that we have aired to date, that you can go to, again, the website is such a vast resource of information. But there is a direct link from our website to our YouTube channel. And every program that we have aired to date is there archived for you to watch at your leisure if you're not recording it on your DVR. That's a good way to get it on demand. Or if you want to pull it down in a Wednesday night service, we have a lot of ministry that for a Wednesday night service are in their home group. They pull a 30-minute segment down of our teaching, they play it, and then they have conversation about it. That's really a great way to get in the Word together with me. But that's available to you there. There's also a podcast that's directly linked to my website. If you go up there and look for the iTunes icon, you can click on it. It will take you directly to our podcast where you can listen to the audio portions of this program. Stream it in your car while you're mowing. Uh, you know, just a good way to redeem time. There's also an RSS feed there for your Android device, and you can get them uh, by going there. Also want to encourage you that, you know, when you go to our website, there's all kinds of resources there. There are series that I've taught. Uh, there's a whole series on Revelation. There is all kinds of material there. Uh, you can get all of our books there. Let me just quickly tell you, you can get uh, all of our books there. One of the more recent ones, again, these are the three that uh, are most recent. I have one other book that's about out of print and so I'm not even going to mention it, but The Revelation of Jesus Christ is a book that has blessed so many people. Uh, and uh, what it does is it deals with the seven churches that were in Asia and how they were making a transition from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm. And that's what the churches needed to repent of was the stuff that was holding them back from a kingdom mentality and from a, uh, even a most holy place understanding, and you would understand that a little more if you're following our Hebrew stuff. That book's available to you. It'll be a real blessing to you. This book called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace is really dealing with uh, Matthew 11 where he says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. See how I do it, and I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. The, the new co covenant walk with God is not one that is a hard road. It's the way of the transgressor that's hard. But in the New Covenant, we live it from the unforced rhythm of grace. This book here is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. If I was going to get just one book, this is the book I would get. Uh, because this book will help you 
make the transition from an old covenant mindset to a kingdom mindset. You are moving from the government of death, the book of Corinthians calls it the government of death written on stone, and you are moving to not be without any government at all, but you are moving to the government of living spirit. So you are moving from religion, but you are moving into a relationship. You're moving out of fear, but you are moving into faith. And so this book marries the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom, and I think it's one of the most powerful pieces of work I've done to date. If you have your device with you, let's get into the book of Hebrews, or you have your Bible, you want to open your Bible. Uh, let's read our text again and make some comments. He says, now of the things, this is eight of Hebrews, which we have spoken, this is the Son. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. See, key words that you want to look at when you're coming through the book of Hebrews is the words better, and more excellent, because everything about the new covenant is better and more excellent. It has a more, it has a more excellent ministry than Levi. It has better promises, better blood, a better tabernacle, better sacrifices, better offerings. Everything about it is better and more excellent. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So he goes on, for finding fault with them, he saith, talking about God, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now what he's saying here is that uh, God found fault with this first covenant. This was not a covenant that God was really wanting them to be in. I, if you go back and listen to some of the stuff that I did in Hebrews 4, I talked about seeing God through the eyes of covenant. Because when they came up out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, God brought them out of Egypt on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, that was a, 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 a grant covenant where it was a one-sided covenant where God was doing what He was doing because of His promise to Abraham. The book of Galatians says, but God, the law was added because of the transgression until, until is a time word, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and that promise was Christ. So the law was an addendum for 400 and some years 
The law was added because of a transgression. And I went back and I, th- I began to look at this. This is not only dealing with the transgression of Adam, but the transgression occurred when they crossed the Red Sea. God wanted to make a whole nation of priests out of them. He wanted to make a nation of kings and priests, a whole kingdom of priests out of the nation of Israel. And when God came down on the mountain to visit the people on Mount Sinai, and the mountain was altogether on a smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the voice of words and the sound of the trumpet waxed loud, and the people said to Moses, We are afraid of him. You go talk to him, and whatever he saith to you, we will do it, and if we do it, it will be our righteousness. Now let me tell you that God says later in the book of Deuteronomy, Because you said in your tents, that you were afraid and that you did not, God said He offered them that God agreed to their terms. And He said, if you don't want to have a personal relationship with me, first of all, if you don't want a personal relationship with God, you have to have rules. And that's why the law of Moses came. Because the more, the, the, the longer you are out of personal relationship with God, the more rules you have to have. See, the whole book of Hebrews is offering you a personal relationship with a high priest and a God who can be touched with the feeling of your infirmity. But when you don't have relationship, you have to have rules. And the people forfeited a personal relationship with God for a mediator system. But when that whole system failed, and 400 and some years later, God offers another priest after the order of Melchizedek, and his name is Jesus. And when he said, you're my son, this day have I begotten him, he made him a priest by that oath when he said, thou art my son. That he made him the priest after the order of Melchizedek, he introduced another priesthood. And if there is a change of priesthood, there is of necessity a change of the law. And so God found fault with that first system because it didn't have relationship, it had rules. And he said, but I'm going to make a, and he begins to breathe clear back in the book of Deuteronomy, even right after he makes the law. In the book of Deuteronomy, he begins to hint, he said, these people are going to fail me, they're going to do this, this is going to come upon them, but I'm going to make a new covenant, I'm going to write this on their hearts, and uh, uh, they're not going to have to have anybody teach them, uh, but they're all going to know me from the least to the greatest, because I'm going to write my law on their heart. That was what God wanted to do. See, the old covenant is about rules on rocks, and the new covenant is about God writing His law upon the fleshly tablets of our heart. Law will change your behavior. Grace will change your heart, and God will change your heart. But I wanted you to see it was God who found fault with that first covenant. And he begins to hint, even clear back in the book of Jeremiah, we might get there today and even talk about that, but he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. What covenant? They continued not in that covenant, he said, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man saying, No, the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. See, I begin to already uh, tell you uh, about that. So let me, let me also quickly uh, look over here while I'm talking about this new covenant. Let's go to uh, Jeremiah, because I, I've probably got at least time for one more segment on the book of Hebrews chapter 8. But I want us to take a look at this in Jeremiah, where he actually begins to hint 
not hint, he begins to talk very strongly about the new covenant, and it's in 31, he, uh, he's taught Jeremiah 31, and it begins, I think, uh, I want to say around verse 29, 20, somewhere like that. Well, you could read, let me just read verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. See, this is a quote that is used in the New Testament when they were absolutely trying to kill some babies, trying to get Jesus. Herod was out to kill uh, out to kill Jesus, and he, they quote the scripture. So he's taught this scripture to me, being connected with what was fulfilled in the New Testament, draws a direct line, first of all, here to the book of Jeremiah. Now let me sl slip on down here into verse number, let's see. Verse 27 said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel, the house of Judah, with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days, watch this, in those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, now see, I want you to see that and see the context here. Now this is very important, so stay with me. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is a direct quote in Hebrews 8. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which by covenant they break, although I was an husband to them. So, see, the covenant they transgressed was the covenant of Abraham. When he took them out of Egypt, they transgressed that covenant, and that covenant was based on simply that you believe. It was based on faith. Abraham's covenant is a covenant based on faith. See, because the, when the law was given, the law is not of faith. Too much here to go to chase that rabbit. He said, but not according to the covenant I made when I took them by the hand, I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write in, in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinances of the moon of the stars for light by night, which divideth the sea with the waves that are roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Now, I could deal with that, but I'm going to leave those last few verses for another time. But what he begins to talk about here, this is a direct quote from Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to write my laws in their hearts. They're not going to need that anybody should teach their neighbor, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Now, to me, I don't think he's saying here that you're not going to need any teachers. You don't need to go to church and learn from him. But what he's saying is you don't need anybody to teach you the law. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is going to so write this covenant on your heart and on your inward parts that it's not going to be about somebody teaching you 
the rules and then binding them on your neck or writing them on your hands or all the stuff that they did under the old covenant. He's talking about in the new covenant, when you come into relationship with God and you're regenerated and born from above, you don't have to have somebody teach you what's right and wrong and what's the law and what's not. You're going to know Him. You're going to have a personal relationship with His high priest who part of this covenant is your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And the, one of the reasons he can do that is because uh, he, is, he, is, uh, he has forever been seated at the right hand of God. I, I'm going to try to get to that in the next segment. But I'm after this particular thought here. He says, he says uh, above that was one of the things that I want to get into. In those days, this is, verse, this is verse number 29, they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come when I will make a new covenant. He says, in that day. What day? In the new covenant day. When the new covenant is come, you're no longer going to say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This is from a, uh, uh, I want to say parable, but this is from a uh, a mindset under the old covenant, and under and, and see this is really where generational curses come from. And I'm going to deal with this because I think it's very important that somebody touches this. If you're dealing with generational curses and you're trying to go back seven, eight, nine generations and what somebody's father's father's father did to get them set free, I don't know about you, but I got enough problems dealing with my own sin than I do having to worry about my grandfather or what his father did. But what he's saying to you here is simply this. Under the old covenant, there were generational curses that were in place. And because there were generational curses that were in place, they would make this statement, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, boy, we are doomed and done for what our fathers and our grandfathers did. But what we don't realize is that one of the things that Jesus does when he's hanging on the cross, as he begins to cry out, I thirst. Oh man, this really touches me. And they go and dip a hyssop in vinegar. What vinegar what they were drawing from was sour grapes. And it was supposed to be something that would help numb the pain. And when they lifted the sop up to Jesus, and he said, I thirst. What he was literally doing was he was taking all of the curses, every generational curse, every curse of the law, every curse of Adam, and every curse that was on the human family, and he was about to nail them to the cross. And he was about to take all of the iniquity and all of the past sin of the past, he was about to nail them to the cross to redeem you from the curse of the law and from every curse, because cursed is he that hangs on a tree. And when he drank the sop, and they gave him to drink of the sour grapes, he took all your generational curses and removed everything, hallelujah, so that you can stand in a day and say, there's a new covenant, and because there's a new covenant, Bless God, I'm not under no generational curses. I've been set free from the curse of the law. As a matter of fact, the only genealogy I'm interested in is my new creation genealogy because the moment I got born again, 
I cut the umbilical cord to the Adam family and to the old man and who I was in Adam, and I got born again and born from above. I got what I call regenerated. Hallelujah. I got regenerated. I got new genetic. I got not a Levi's genes. I got designer genes. I got Melchizedek genes now. I've been moved into a better priesthood where now I'm not being judged by somebody else's sin. Jesus took my sin. He took my father's sin. He took the iniquities of us all and laid it on him so that he is seated before God as a faithful high priest who's a minister of the true tabernacle, who's sitting in the heavens right now as a minister of the true tabernacle of God where you and I can stand where he says, here's the promise of the new covenant, your sins and iniquities. He'll remember no more. That includes the generational curses. And one of the things that really stuck out to me again as we're making some remarks regarding this is what it adds up to, this is the sum of it, is this is a faith, what, a, what an incredible high priest. Man, I'm telling you, when you start looking at the tenets of this new covenant and the promises that God made, it's incredible. But one of the things I wanted to say yet again is that when he uh, said that in Hebrews chapter 8, it said that then he was seated, he seated at the right hand of God. This really caught my attention when I was thinking about this for this segment, and I wrote in my notes, he is seated on the right hand of God. The fact that he is seated is significant. It declares that by his sacrifice for sin, that sin has been dealt with forever, and perfection forever has been given to those of us who believe. That was that, that perfection, it says that, that, that our sin has been dealt with forever and perfection. That, and our perfection that was based on a sacrifice, and we'll get into that in chapter 10, but our perfection that's based on His sacrifice is now complete. And when he goes uh, into Hebrews 10, let me read this scripture to you. And every high priest, this is chapter 10 verse 11, and every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting to his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And he tells you in the verse above that, that you're sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ one and for all. So that your sanctification and your perfection is based on the offering of Jesus Christ. But here's what I'm after. The fact that he's seated is saying something powerful. Because here in chapter 10 he says, For every priest, talking about the Levitical priesthood, standeth daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. So the high priests are, and the priests of the old covenant of the system of the Levitical priesthood were always standing. They were always standing because there was a continual need for the offering of sin. So it's very significant when we look at this chapter and we realize after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, 
sat down. Man, I'm about to get happy. He's not standing. The reason he's not standing is because the sin offering is complete. That's why I love it. When I think about this, I think it's very highly possible that what he's talking about, now here's what I wrote in my book. I think it's highly possible that when he is talking about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, that we must realize that it's a seat. I love this. It's a seat. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne and have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this present world. The fact that he's seated, man, what a sum, as Paul says, of the things which we have spoken, this is what it adds up to. This is the sum. We've got a high priest who not only offered a perfect sacrifice that would forever deal with our sins and iniquities, that would so wipe out all of our generational curses and the sour grapes that we had expectancy of eating, of a judgment that was coming, and that as believers, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, He's not standing. He's seated. And because He's seated, it tells me your sins, ah, I'm about to get excited if you're not, <laughs> your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. That's not my words. That's the tenets of the new covenant. Not on the basis of how good you are, but on the basis of how goes your high priest. And your high priest is forever seated in the heavens as a continual, listen, he offered himself once to God as the ultimate sacrifice and then sat down and is in the true tabernacle of God as an everlasting reminder of an everlasting sacrifice that was not like the blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sin. They could cover over sin and cover over sin. But John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God found fault with that, uh, that first covenant. And he said, Because you had to continually come back and perpetual sin. And it was a remembrance of sin every year. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of the majesty of the heavens, not only being able to pay for your sin, but able to secure you so that you didn't have to continue in your sin. He was able to save his people from their sins. He's a king and a priest. He's full of supply, not just full of demand. This is not a covenant written on rocks. This is a covenant written on the fleshly tables of the heart. God's able to change you from the inside out and not from the outside in. Law can change your behavior, but grace will change the heart. What a high priest we have. We are about to run out of time again. I'm going to do one more segment on Hebrews 8, and then we're going to move on. But I want to just take a moment again and say thank you uh, for joining us. Thank you for watching. Thank you for your faithful prayers and support. If you'd like to get behind what we're doing and you appreciate the message that we are giving, uh, let me encourage you to do that. We do need your help. It takes your help uh, to be able to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace around the world. If you'd like to do that, you can do it by going to our website. There is a place where you can give via credit card or PayPal. Now, PayPal is there, but there's also a way you can just give it with your credit card. You can set up, if you will, a repetitive, uh, if you want a monthly debit or amount taken out as a partner, you can set that up right there by simply going to the website. Or you can call the number on the screen and someone will be standing by to take your call and take your credit card information. Or you can send a check 
or money order to the address that will come on the screen. If you call our office and you don't get an answer, uh, please, if you want to call back, leave a message because we have a limited amount of staff and they will call you back when they get time. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.